This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com. And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have on Anasar Melarabi is the real estate guru. He calls himself a guru instead of guru because he gets it done. And his six-figure, uh, his yearly six-figure salary is a testament of that. And I wanted him to come back on to be able to share with our listeners what has been working for him or what has not been working for him to kind of give you the shortcut to be able to reach the finish line. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with Nassar because he was a guest on episode six. Uh, where we talked about kind of his journey, uh, kind of how he how he grew up, and kind of how he found his into real estate. So with this live cast, this is an opportunity for it to serve as an expansion. So we're not going to focus a bunch of, like I said as before, a whole lot of time on kind of you know his height, we you know his background, how he was raised. For more information about that. I will say refer to that episode. Nassar, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, I think the first thing that uh, people are interested in uh, is kind of uh, what's, the, what's the real skinny on real estate? Because a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are waking up to realize, okay, you know, the only the only uh, into real estate is not being a realtor, but they can also get into certain ways, like bird logging, wholesaling, rehabbing, uh, things that uh, you know we're going to talk about today. So, uh, what was your path, and what path would you recommend for the beginner, maybe for someone who doesn't have a lot of money? Well, um, basically, for me starting out on the uh, creative real estate side, my path was wholesaling houses, and when you're wholesaling houses, you don't need, um, like what I do is creative real estate. So mm-hmm. I don't need uh, money. I don't need credit because I get things done creatively. And um, if you're in a situation where you don't have much money to get started, I, re- I, I recommend wholesaling for people and they can build up uh, cash that way. However, you know, it just takes hard work. So wholesaling is basically how you guys started, right? Yes. Yeah. So so um, perhaps you get maybe the abbreviated version, but uh, from the last episode, uh, episode six, uh, you stated that uh, kind of your journey was going to read us faithfully uh, weekly. Uh, I'm not sure if it was. I think it was monthly, rather. Uh, going to uh, a readers faithfully and networking. And, and I believe you stated that uh, the last, the last uh, kind of how you got started was kind of uh, someone took you under their wing. Basically, you started off by giving value first, and once that uh, you know, once that, I guess investors saw that uh, how valuable you was, then uh, I guess it's kind of opened the door. That that's correct. You know, um, just to get more into that. So basically, with this niche and with creative real estate, it was all new to me. So. I, I was going through self-development before um, pretty much jumping into this. We're at the same time, rather. So I just knew I had to give to get. So therefore, what I did was I volunteered for the RIA 
two years straight. And when I say RIA, that means Real Estate Investment Association. And a lot of you, you have these in, in your backyard. Some of you probably have up to 20 of them in your backyard, depending on your location um, these days. And you can find them nationalrea.com or just go to meetup.com and type in real estate investment. And you can look at all the uh, real estate clubs in your area. And um, But with my uh, local RIA here in Charlotte, North Carolina, I volunteered, man, for two years straight. So... And, you know, just getting the information at the same time, just doing. Great. And uh, so let's talk about that. You know, you say you volunteer. What was you actually doing? Uh, you know, was you, uh, you know, trying to pass on leads? Uh, kind of give the audience kind of what you were actually doing and providing value to the other real estate investors. Uh, basically, I was volunteering for the organization, doing what um, the organization needed me to do, serve speakers, um, People will look for certain properties. I go out and try to find them. Um, I still do that to this day, actually. So, you know, basically the work, you know, helps set up, helps set up stuff at the meeting. Um, and eventually I noticed that people see my def uh, dedication and they knew my name on the first basis. And, you know, I was able to ask them all types of questions about their business. And however, yeah, but me serving them okay. was basically just volunteering for the organization, setting up, um, looking for properties for them and things like that. Yeah, and, and that's really a good way because uh, if you look at uh, decades ago, uh, even a century ago, the 20s, the 40s, the 60s, um, that was basically how it was done. They, they, kind of, they kind of called it an apprenticeship, but essentially you was doing the same thing. You know, you was offering value, you kind of, or now, they call it internships, but you was offering value and you was trying to, uh, you know, basically uh, kind of develop a rapport, uh, you know, to develop kind of a profile for yourself and kind of make it easier for you to be able to work with people since you already had your foot in the door by giving your time. So I think that's very important and, you know, people should definitely uh, consider, uh, you know, volunteering for Rio or, or even just, you know, be very, just giving a link to maybe a specific you know, investor or group of investors to make it easier to kind of bridge that gap and, and hopefully working with them. So, um, so uh, kind of fast forward past that, you know, you put your two years in um, of helping, uh, you know, the Charlotte area. Uh, what was the next step at that point? Not sorry, if you said, I'm ready. Okay. So basically after like um, the first year, I just took out a year just, you know, learning, 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 learning. Um, and what I, and what I did was the, the next step for me was just basically just going out there and just doing it. And while the midst of me doing it, I got approached by a mentor and that mentor offered me their services. And when that mentor offered me the services, of course, I took it up. I took him up on that. And uh, eight months later, I was getting my first deal and got a check for 2000 that I paid him. It was like 1300 You know, nothing life-changing. It was just basically, wow, this thing works. All my hard work um, paid off. So Great, great. So 
so this this is probably a mentor that you know I would assume that you know probably a guy that doesn't work with a lot of people only first work with people he sees that are hungry and tenacious you know I really want to do this so you know I guess by him seeing you stick around a lot he said you know what you know probably let me get this kid a chance he looks hungry he looks determined and uh, that's what you led to your kind of two thousand uh, dollar real estate deal now I'm quite sure that you know that's probably was like whoa kind of kind of uh, kind of like more of a uh, revelatory for you because you was like you know wow it's just two grand and unfortunately and not sorry most people they make that amount probably in a month unfortunately and uh, two grand you know up front possibly get maybe uh you know that amount per week uh, that probably that probably kind of really opened your eyes so how did you feel after that first deal and uh you know you know what was your hope to do what was your hope to do after that uh, you know, basically after that first day, it was like, wow, you know, it all worked. All the hard work just paid off. You know, even though it was a smaller check, it was like, wow, you know, just it paid off. So therefore, my next steps was basically like, how could I just make more of it? You know, mm -hmm. I, so I, I started doing more marketing, looking for more deals. Right. So you went straight into wholesaling or was you bird dogging first? before going into wholesaling wholesaling i went straight into wholesaling okay okay and uh you know for for, for people who don't know what bird dog is maybe you can give people kind of a, a a brief summary about that because i'm quite sure a lot of people you know they are bird dog they are property scout essentially it's the same thing but they they you know they, they want to know what it is maybe you can tell them yeah basically what um bird dogging is is uh, individual who um, looks for properties for an investor, someone as myself, and gets a flat fee. But basically what they'll be doing is, it just depends. Sometimes they might just give the address and the investor does all the work, or sometimes they just might get the dialogue started on the deal, and then the investor, you know, finish out the work and they get paid the flat fee. Right, right. You know, bird dogging is obviously uh, kind of at the very bottom. You know, Nassar would, would tell you, but uh, it could be a way to get started. You know, Nassar kind of got into kind of uh, the mid the mid level. Uh, you know, again, again with his dedication to the RIA. Uh, what were some of the skills that you learned, RIA, that you took with you in building your real estate career? Eight, eighty to ninety percent of the stuff I learned, man, I had mm -hmm. took that and building my real estate career. It's not knowing the most information. It's a person who's willing to apply what they do know. So mm -hmm. therefore, you know, a lot of information from me going to all the meetings was pretty much the same information. Of course, I always got that those one or two nuggets that you get, but mm -hmm. a lot of it's the same information. It's just, are you going to actually do the work? And the difference between yeah, yeah, and, awesome. yeah, the difference exactly. Was I actually did the work. Yeah, um, I, I always tell people, I often end up giving people the same advice, just using different words. And as you said before, uh, that's what uh, essentially what makes the difference is, um, you know, one person implements it and the other person does not. So uh, that's, uh, I think that's very important. Um, what would be some uh, primers that you can give the new uh, real estate investor to uh, kind of help them to be able to, you know, get to their first deal as quickly as possible. What were some mistakes that you made uh, that you realized when your first deal, or maybe your second deal, like, ah, I should have did that. Uh, you know, what were some of those lessons? And, and uh, you know, perhaps you could share that with 
Okay. Uh, I mean, I just want to go into my my biggest mistake, if if, if that's all right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, just talking about my uh, biggest mistake was when. Um, okay, so I actually started this creative real estate journey in 2010. All right. Mm -hmm. And for me starting this journey in 2010, um, this is not the first time my first real estate deal. My first real estate deal was basically in 2007 was my first flip. And I went about the, the traditional way. And the way I did it was and basically me and my friend was watching Flip That, flip that House show. And we was like, man, we could do this. This is easy. All we got to do is buy a house. Get yeah, some contractors, you know, and make a bunch of money. So, you know, that's what we thought it was going to be. At least that's what they show on TV. So, long story short, I mean, we did everything wrong in the book. I mean, just bought too high, bought the wrong cycle of the market. Um, got a, a bad. I mean, it was a it was a whole bunch of things that we did wrong, and therefore, with us doing that wrong, we end up losing. $7,000 a piece. But mm -hmm. the biggest thing I can tell your audience is just educate yourself um, about real estate before jumping in. There are some other real estate education uh, resources that you recommend. You know, at the RIA, I'm quite sure you made a lot of connections and uh, you know, you're able to learn a lot. What are some other uh, resources that you can uh, impart to the viewers? Well, you know, basically, um, as far as the resources, I have a book that explains everything called uh flip house flipping houses like burgers flip mm -hmm. houses like flip houses like burgers on amazon flip houses like burgers on amazon uh, it, it explains everything how i got started you know no fluff just it it is it, it, it's about five pages of fluff and then it gets into the actual how, how to do it you know flip houses with no money and no credit and um that's a great resources and i'm not the only guy who has good Good information out there. There's a lot of information. You can go to your local RIA. Uh, if you want a mentor, I you can check with your, your local RIA first, see who's credible, see who's actually doing deals. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I have a podcast uh, called Flipping Empire Podcast with, you know, get, we interview um, people who are succeeding in the real estate market today, not 10 years ago. So, you know, I mean, it's a bunch of resources out there. You just got to do the work, you know? Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps now, sorry, you can talk about three things that were relevant 10 years ago in a real estate game, but it's not relevant now. Because I think that's very important. You know, sometimes, as you stated before, uh, uh, there are groups who were very successful 10 years ago, and they're not, they're not in the trenches anymore. They're not doing real estate deals anymore. And they still think that, you know, their, you know, deck, the 10 plus year old advice is still relevant today. So maybe you can share, like, what are maybe two or three things that was relevant back then that's not relevant now in real estate? Uh, let me see, two or three things. Um, not too many people are, you know, still putting ads in the, the newspaper because a lot of people don't read the newspaper. Um, Looking, if you're in a major city, you know, using the MLS as a prime source of getting deals, you know, that just might not be relevant these days because of how hot it is um, mm -hmm. in, in these markets. 
Um, let me th- I'm trying to think of some one more thing. Um, basically, well, yes. Yeah, let me let you know. Let me ask you this, Nassar. Um, the people who are so knowledgeable about real estate, you know, they may know about certain things on the investing side, but they're not actually or they're not actively and consistently doing deals. Um, do you feel that, uh, or would you say your experience that maybe an investor working with a realtor, is that a bit intimidating in a way? Because uh, do you think the realtor may feel that, you know, working with an investor may actually take business away from them? Uh, what, what do you think about that when it comes to the investor and a realtor relationship? Maybe you could talk about, you know, some of your experiences. All right. I mean, investors working with realtors, um, you just have to make sure that you're a good fit. You know, the investor has to be, uh, the realtor has to be open-minded and the investor has to respect the realtor. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you get these, I mean, if I was a realtor, I wouldn't work with a lot of investors. I would only work with investors who would know what they're doing because we're our, our, a realtor is essentially an entrepreneur like anybody else. They don't get paid until a deal closes. Same thing with me. I don't get paid until a deal closes. So they don't want some, they don't want to deal with somebody who's going to waste their time. And sometimes they're approached by people who think they're not wasting their time, but essentially you are. You know, and it is what it is. And they want to spend their time making money and they don't want no BS clients. Just like us as investors, we don't we don't want to deal with homeowners who all right, all right. we want to deal with people who are ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. if the homeowner is on the fence, then yeah, we're gonna give them time, but we're not gonna give them that much time. So mm-hmm. basically what the investor realtor relationship is basically you guys getting together to see if you're a good fit. You know, me personally, I rather a realtor tell me up front, hey, look, I don't work with investors, um, you know, so I, I can't deal with you. You know, that's fine with me. You know, I'd rather you be honest. And right. I'd rather, uh, you know, and if I was a realtor, I would, you know, I would, you know, do my due diligence with somebody. Like, okay, how many properties did you buy? What is your strategy? What do you play? Can you, all right, we put these offers in, you, we put all these offers in and you get it. You know, are you able to tackle this property? Mm-hmm. You know, or do what you say you're going to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you just have to find the right realtors. Do I work with realtors? Absolutely. You know, but I it took me time to find the right, right realtors who understood my business model. Right. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan. We use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PCs Magazine, best web hosting service. Do you think for a beginning real estate investor that it will actually be easier for them as far as, you know, finding success? Do you think it will be easier for them to work with a realtor? Or do you think they'd be just as successful working alone Someone can be just, just as successful working by themselves without a realtor. And I'm proof of that. You know, it took me a while to start working on realtors. I stayed out of their way, they stayed out of mine. You know, so it, you can be just as, you don't, you don't need a realtor. 
the person that you started working with uh, the first time you got your first deal, he came to you, he approached you, the one, the deal you made two grand off of, was he a realtor or, or was he also an wholesaler or rehabber that was kind of taking you under his wing? Yeah, no, he was just an investor. He was just another investor. Who okay. wasn't, he was an investor with a coach. He was not a realtor. No. Okay. Okay. Very good. And um, so let's okay. Let's talk about that because now, uh, for people who don't know, Nasta actually does both. Not only does it does wholesales, but also does rehabs. Uh, perhaps that's why you can give a primer. Uh, what are the pros and cons uh, to being a wholesaler as opposed to being a rehabber? Okay, so the pros of a uh, a rehab, I'm sorry, of a wholesaler is you get to make quick cash out of thin air. So you get quick cash out of thin air. That's one of the pros of being a wholesaler. The cons is, you know, you have to spend um, money in marketing. So um, sometimes you might get away with spending very little. Sometimes you might get away with spending none. But the pros of wholesaling is, and another pro is you have very little risk. You can't really lose money on the deal because you're not using your credit or money. So you that that's another pro. That's why it's extremely attractive to people. As far as you know, rehabbing is a lot stressful. Um, a lot of things go wrong. You are at risk, and you can lose money, which I did in my first deal about. I want to say I was uh, sold in 08, so about seven years ago now. So you can lose money. You take a lot more risk. Um, however, the reward is normally bigger. Um, I, I want to say average whole, average rehab profits uh, are normally somewhere 20K, 30K, somewhere around that, the national average. So somewhere between 20K and 30K is a national average for wholesale profits. And um, I mean, for rehab projects, whereas, you know, I mean, typically an investor, if you're not in like California, typically if you're in another market outside California, your your wholesale fees are probably going to be normally around 5K. So, you know, um, so you might come across a deal and you might say, well, I can wholesale it right now and make, nine grand with no risk, no money, no credit, or I can take the risk and four months, four to five months, pick up a check for it, uh, 33,000. So, you know, just. So so would you say, would you say that's typically the turnaround time for you doing rehabs, uh, you know, four months, you know, as far as, you know, once you actually, you know, sign it, once you actually sign a contract, uh, to actually, you know, once you're actually able to sell it to maybe, I guess they call it wholesaling, so it's like a retail buyer, or maybe selling it to maybe another investor. Would you say it's kind of your, your turnaround time of four months? Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Now, what about a wholesale? So people say, okay, well, rehab kind of four months. What is a wholesale? What has it been for you? Or what would you, what would you say uh, uh, an average amount of time that a person could expect when wholesale? Uh, me personally on wholesaling, once I get the contract signed, I would say three weeks, I'm picking up a check in three weeks or less. Okay. Okay. So, so you have about three, three, four weeks and then you have about four months. Okay. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of a a better outlook of what a person can expect and kind of which ways. Now, um, what would be, if a person wanted to rehab? Yeah, person may say, well, oh, okay, that's cool, you know, but how do I get the thing 
to do the rehab. You know, uh, you know what has worked for you and what has not worked for you uh, in regards to trying to secure financing uh, to do rehabs. Uh, basically, you have what you call uh, hard money lenders, and if you're not bankable, meaning that you're someone who doesn't have uh, a job as myself, you don't have a W-2, uh, you don't have um, friends and family with a lot of money who can, you know, be your investors on the deal, you have, um, what I use is just local hard money lenders who just base, um, lend me money based off the deal. Mm-hmm. If there's enough meat on the um, bone on the deal, they do it. If not, they won't do it. However, mm-hmm. you know, building those relationships took me years to do. It, it wasn't overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. So because at every if you're in a major market and it's some investment activity, there, there are guys in your backyard who are lending their own money out mm-hmm. of their, um, you know, out of their accounts and to um, fund these deals. Um, and typically they don't want to deal with inexperienced people. They mm-hmm. want to deal with somebody that they know they're going to get, um, their money back on. They don't mm-hmm. want to deal with the new guy. They got to chase down to get payments. Then mm-hmm. he messed up the rehab and he messed up the money and his contractor ran off on him. So now he can't get in touch with him and they got to foreclose. They don't want to do that. You know, right. they want to live off the interest. So therefore, they like to deal with experienced people. So it, it will take time to build those relationships. Right. Now, let's talk about that. Now, Sar, how did you find your first, uh, how was you able to find financing for your first rehab? Because people are wondering, well, okay, I'm new. Well, you know, I want to do this rehab thing. How do I actually get started to secure the financing? What was your experience to try to secure financing for your first rehab? I partnered with somebody who was experienced and started to get connections. You know, a lot of the people, they see me around, they knew me and, uh, you know, and eventually it's like, okay, this guy's here to stay. He's a go-getter. It was just, you know, so I partnered with somebody, got one relationship and just been going on since there. Right. And you leverage your partner's relationships for continued deals, I would assume. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so and very good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure you probably met that partner. Was it from Naria? Yes, that's correct. So <laughs> it kind of goes back to what Nassar was saying earlier, how the, the importance um, of Naria uh, to be able to you know put in work off start firms by giving value, and then from there. Um, uh, you know, you know, you know, you, you know, utilize that time that you put in, and hopefully that can open up some doors and meet new people. You know, having people to kind of you know assist you, assist you on your behalf, so you can also start realizing um, some success. So uh, I, I would definitely recommend it because I get it all the time. You know, people, you know, the experts for me, people say, hey, hey, you know, feature me in the Huffington Post, or hey, feature me an entrepreneur. I probably get about dozens of those emails a day, but first starts off by building the relationship, by building a rapport. You know, if I see, if I see, if I, if I see a person, like, wow, you know, their chances are much more higher than a person that, you know, just came off the street or just emailed Nicole and say, hey, you know, help me, do me a favor. Because as you said before, you know, it has to be a mutual exchange. You know, you know, if, you know so for real estate, you're, uh, the, the investor helped you, 
you know, make your first two grand, and he got a cut of that. So it was a win-win for him. You know, you won because you got your first deal. You got you got your first deal under your belt, uh, which you know, which 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 prompted you uh, to be able to uh, have the capacity to work in future deals. But for him, it was a, a win-win for him too because he's able to make some money off of it as well. So I think that's very important. You know, when it comes to if you're being a, if you want to be a real estate entrepreneur, or if you or if you want to be an entrepreneur of another type of niche, I think it's very important that if you expect to, you know, you know, have, if, if if you want to guarantee your success, it first starts off by uh, creating win-win uh, solutions by giving value first. And from that value, uh, you know, eventually you have a snowball effect. Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree. Um, Nassar, um, uh, most of my real estate involvement is on the passive side. Uh, you know, I typically invest in tax links, certificates, uh, those type of things, uh, because really it's kind of hands off. Um, talk about the mindset, because the reason why I mentioned that is to say this. Uh, I feel like when it comes to being a real estate investor, especially you know you have active invest, you have active real estate investing, and then you have passive real estate investing, and obviously what you're doing, you know, rehabbing, wholesaling, all of those sorts, that's definitely active. You're constantly you're in the trenches. You're dealing with people. And as opposed to the passive, uh, you may have like private money lending, uh, which you and where you're actually the private money lender, and you may have or taxing certificates, something that I do where I just give the money and I don't worry about it. Um, really, you know, the passive side, in my experience, uh, really is kind of hands off. It's less stressful. But talk about what the newbie investor, what, what the mindset they need to be successful because, you know, you're dealing with all types of people now. So I'm quite sure I'm familiar with it. You talked about in the last episode how you was almost done with the rehab and the roof collapse. So uh, I'm quite sure you, you're dealing with all types of people. Talk about the mentality that a person need to be successful in something wholesaling or rehabbing? All right, yes. Um, as far as the mindset, I mean, you have to have a, like, a go-to attitude, nothing can stop you um, type of attitude. Are you going to get down? Absolutely. Are things going to not go right? Absolutely. You know, and, I, and, that, and that's a normal thing in this business. And but you just have you you have to be the type of person that you're in it for the long haul, so you're not gonna quit because um, things go wrong all the time. You know, I mean, things go right probably thirty percent of the time. The rest, you know, mm -hmm. things are going wrong, and you got to get out there and fix them. And the difference between you know an entrepreneur and an employee, well, if you're if there's an issue with your paycheck or an issue with your position, your job description, whatever, you can bring that to management. And management can handle that. Well, as an entrepreneur, if there's an issue with your paycheck, your position, whatever, no, no, you got to resolve those issues. So your management, you know, your customer relations, you know, your transaction coordinators, you know, of course, eventually you want to outsource all that stuff, but ultimately it falls on you and you are responsible for your paycheck. And a lot of times I see that people know the business, know what to do. However, they have the wrong mindset, so they never succeed or never get a deal out of the business because they just have the wrong mindset. You have to be, I mean, like, I got so serious about this thing. I cut off cable. I stopped listening to music in my car, listening to audio books, podcasts, 
going to sleep with a book by, uh, right by my bed, you know, because I was I, I wasn't enjoying, you know, my job. I didn't see myself there for 10, 20, 30, 40 years like the rest of those people that was there, you know, or the rest, sure. of, the rest of those people that, I mean, I was having this conversation with a friend. Like, I'm the guy who I would look over at, you know, I got fired from my job, and I was my last job at 29 back in September of 2012. But before that, you know, I was the guy at the job, you know, I would look over and look at those people who were in their, you know, late 30s, 40s, and 50s and whatever and just say, not me, not me. Mm-hmm. It, that will not be me. So, you know, and that made me work harder on myself. Right. And, and that's good. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of, because success is a sacrifice. You know, most people aren't willing to make the sacrifice to have success. And basically, you know, as you talked about before, you got rid of your cable, uh, you know, all of those sorts of distractions, and that's what most people need to do, but they fail to do it. You know, uh, you know, watching, you know, you know, you know, uh, most people know more about, uh, you know, football stats than they do about, you know, something they're actually passionate about that can make them money. You know, I've always say, hey, if you're really passionate about football, be a commentator. You know, but obviously, you know, we have these distractions. That's preventing them from uh, reaching their finish line. You know, kind of going into the real estate side. Um, let's delve in because I mean, you're talking to people, which means that you have to have good rapport building strategies, or you're not going to buy their house. You know, a person has to feel comfortable with you. You know, or they're not going to save their house. There's so many different types of you know homeowners. You know, you don't have the ones that's probably going to curse you out, things like that. And you know, you, you know, you've done over 100 plus deals. What you know, how do you approach that? You know, how do you find the balance in where you're firm as far as about your terms and the price, but at the same time, you're making a homeowner feel comfortable in doing business with you? Um, you know, you just got to know, know how to adapt to different styles. I mean, one thing, when I was working my job, I've done customer service, I've done sales, and you just have to know to adapt to different personalities. Because we're different, we're dealing with all different kinds of people. And real estate is a people-based business. And you have to be able to please people, and you mm-hmm. know, uh, make fair deals with people. So, mm-hmm. it, it, my background it allowed me to know how to adapt to certain circumstances. You so know, let's, how, talk about, let's talk about one of those experience. Uh, no, sorry. Let's let's talk about probably your most difficult real estate deal because maybe the homeowner. Was being very difficult, but in the end, you were still able to close that deal. Maybe you can share that experience. Oh, bro, the my lap. Okay, all right. This deal here, man. Okay, so I had this home run deal, and I had to deal with the son, mm-hmm. and the son. He was not. This is a person who was not money motivated, and. He was not money motivated, and um, he was helping out his parents, and he was the most responsible one. And I had to work with the son in getting this, getting the contract signed, and getting the deal to the closing. The son, well, getting the contract closed. Let's just let's go get the contract signed. Let's go over that. Man, mm-hmm. it took about six months to get the contract signed. Wow. And he was one of those people. There was no takeaway from him like you couldn't use well look man if you don't have it by this day you know the deal's off it, it that didn't that didn't bother him it's just some people you just have to have patience with and mm-hmm. all right so we finally got the contract signed 
Then it took them two weeks to sign the documents, to get the documents signed to close with them. So, but it was just me working with them. Hey, look, this is happening. This is going to happen. That's going to happen if you don't do this because the city was about to foreclose on him for taxes. You know? Wow. And, 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 and it's kind of weird, too, because, you know, it was about to foreclose on him, but at the same time, he didn't really show no sense of motivation. Correct. And he wasn't a money motivated person. And you come across these people, you know, money is just not the motivation. It was just, all right, okay, you know, just being patient with them, directed with them, and, you know, just keeping that that, that currency with them. And, uh, you know, eventually I got the deal done. It was, um, first I was supposed to make about 30-plus on it, but it ended up, you know, some things happened in between. He got a higher offer, so I had to, you know, up my offer and, End up making like fifteen thousand on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a great example, Nasar, because it's just with anything. Uh, you know, things take time. You know, anything that you pursue, uh, it's not always going to be uh, a quick turnaround time. Often, what that is, luck. You know, you should be at the right place uh, at the right time. And, you know, but you know, the, the more you're, the more you prepare yourself for opportunities. Uh, you know, often people get more. I guess if they say luckier. But, uh, but, you know, great preparation is what puts you in front of an abundance of opportunities, you know. People call that lucky, but, you know, not necessarily if you well-equip yourself because, you know, the more opportunities that come to you, if you're more better prepared, you can actually execute those opportunities. So um, with Nassar, uh, you know, as you see, with him, it took him six months just to get uh, the contract done. Uh, with me, it took me uh, often two to three times as long uh, uh, as it as it would capitalize up, then as I would thought it would be maybe maybe a month or so. So uh, it just really it requires patience, you know. And the whole entrepreneur framework, uh, one one attribute that really makes the entrepreneur is patience. And uh, and you're probably speaking to it a lot too. Uh, I saw when it comes to sales, you know, whether a person has an online business, or we talking about here, especially when it comes to our real estate investing. Uh, in order to be successful in sales, the key is in the follow-up. Uh, maybe you could talk about that. Maybe how many times that you've reached out to uh, a specific homeowner until they actually uh, decide to say, okay, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll talk to you about selling my house. Like two years. Wow, two years. So, yeah. So, so, so 24 months and and um, and. Talk about the experience, if you would, because I'm quite sure people are wondering, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, what was that like exactly? Maybe there's some nuggets of wisdom that they could take away from that. So talk about that kind of the two-year way you had to go through. What was your strategy of marketing? Did you send it uh, like a letter? Did you was it a postcard? Did you knock on your door? What was that like? Well, basically, they called in um, previously, and they were not ready to sell at that moment. So what I had to do was uh, every two, three months, just put them in my system to follow up with them. Every, like, three months, eventually when it came on, and eventually they were ready. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, the deal took time, and we were able, able to get it done, and everybody was happy. So, you know, I mean, majority of these people you talk to, you're not going to hit them. On, you're not going to um, get them on the first time. It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people don't realize, man. You got to follow up with them. You got you right. to understand, have an understanding of the whole sales process because it will make you a better real estate investor. 
Yeah, so, uh, and sometimes too, maybe it might be actually good to kind of switch switch marketing methods, kind of switch it up. Maybe uh, maybe uh, a postcard on the first time, a yellow on the second time, uh, maybe a phone call on the third time. You know, would you recommend that? Yeah, definitely. Cool, cool. All right, great. So uh, we have, we're coming into about, uh, about 18 minutes. Uh, got some questions printed out here. And uh, we'll go through the first question. Uh, first question is from Mike. Uh, Mike says, uh, what would be uh, five tools that I can use to optimize and uh, be a successful wholesaler? So I guess his question is, uh, what would be five tools and resources that he could use as someone who does not have a lot of money? Okay, five. I don't know if I'd give you five tools, especially since he asked me the question. If I can't think of five, it's probably like 50. However, you know, if you don't have a lot of money to get started, you have to be willing to sacrifice things and invest a lot of time. And that's what I had to do. I had to invest a lot of time because when I got started with this, man, you know, I was broke working a job that I hated and, you know, just being just miserable and just wanted out. So, therefore, what I did was I sacrificed my time, most importantly. If you understand the business, then that's all you need. Don't, oh, you don't mm -hmm. have to over-educate yourself. You just have to get out there and just do it. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I did, and I talk about in my book, uh, Flip Houses Like Burgers, available on Amazon, um, I got up every Saturday morning to farm neighborhoods. You know, I had to put time in. So I did that for, you know, eight months until my deal closed, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to sacrifice, put that uh, put that time in, you know, time in. You need to learn time management, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so you can allocate the, the proper time into, you know, becoming successful at this business. Right. So uh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. You fin no, finish, finish up and we'll go to the next question. Basically, basically, I was going to just say, you know, like I said in the beginning of the call, it's not, if you understand wholesaling, then you understand wholesaling. It's not mm -hmm. that it, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. The most important mm -hmm. thing is you just getting out there and doing it. Right. Um, Rita has a question. Uh, she, st she states that she lives 30 miles away from Big City. Uh, you know, she, you know she, lives, she kind of lives in a county where uh, it's kind of just a bunch of small towns. Uh, her advice is: she doesn't have a car. She wants to get started in real estate. You know, you know, what advice would you give her in her predicament? Okay, doesn't have a car. Wants to get started in real estate. Thirty miles away from uh, a big city, all the cities that she lives kind of close to are kind of small towns. Yeah, what, what advice would you give her? Okay, first things first. I want to say. Uh, I will say you go to over to that bandit, go over to that city, that major city, and put up bandit signs to we buy houses signs. But as mm -hmm. a disclosure, check with your city ordinance and see if they're legal. And mm -hmm. um, let's say that for the sake of this conversation, the city are legal, and mm -hmm. I would start putting those up, and mm -hmm. the people are going to call you, and you can do all the pre-screening, and you can send somebody else out there. For you know, hey, I give you ten dollars. You know, put a, a short job on Craigslist. I give you ten to twenty dollars to go out and take pictures of this property, and you can actually flip that property on the internet as well using multiple sites um, mm -hmm. without actually going to the property. 
I'm mm -hmm. inside of Charlotte, and this I wholesale properties all the time that I never look at. You know, so you can actually, as long as you're getting the sellers from that major city, um, you can actually, you know, make money out of that city by not actually going to the properties. So because you don't have a car, don't let that stop you. You know, I have heard stories of people who did not have a car, but they would get on the bus to put out those signs. And eventually mm -hmm. they were able to close the deal and eventually they were able to get the car and things like that. So don't mm -hmm. let that stop you. Um, mm -hmm. And just because you live in a small town does not necessarily mean there's no investment activity going on there. There might be investment activity going on there as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's just that some towns there's none, but mm -hmm. just because it's a small town does not necessarily mean that there's no investment activity going on. So check your backyard first. Right. Yeah, I think that was very helpful, Rita. Uh, hope that helped. Uh, next question is from William, and William says, "What would be, you know, you know, you know, what what would be a good way to find uh, private money lenders?" Because he said, from his understanding, he thinks that he may make more money from a deal working with a private money lender than a hard money lender. Uh, perhaps you could speak to that uh, and help William out. Okay, basically, he asked, how do I find private money lenders, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he said, he said, according to what he found, and I believe it to be true, uh, no, sorry, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you definitely have tons of more experience, but he said it's easier, he thinks, because he can, he can make more money off of the deal, and it's not as intimidating with the paperwork. That, that, Do you agree with that? Or? Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, you're going to make more okay. money private money because private money is normally cheaper than your hard money rates. So mm -hmm. it's just getting out there, man, and working it. How many people are you putting yourself in front of that mm -hmm. potentially have money? Are, are, you, are you inviting people to your projects and letting people know what you do? Are you mm -hmm. talking about what you do? You know, mm -hmm. I can't, there's no set answer on how to find private money lenders. I can't say, mm -hmm. well, hey, look, they're all going to be at Starbucks at 3 o'clock. Just tell them you have a good deal. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's not that simple. It's, it's you putting it out there. And once you start raising private money, you're going to be surprised at where it's at. You know, it was sitting next to you the whole time, and you didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead. And then we'll go to the final one. Go ahead. Finish, finish that. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so, you know, just keep that in mind once you're going to these RIAs and places like that or – you know, people are talking about what you do. Let them know, hey, you know, I, basically what I do is I make my investors great returns on their money through real estate. Before we go, I definitely want to uh, give you an opportunity, Nassar. And thank for the questions and thank for all the email questions, people, by the way. But I definitely want to give um, uh, Nassar an opportunity to kind of talk about what he's doing, kind of what he's offering. So yeah, Nassar, talk about that. You know, talk about your website, uh, you know, talk about your book, some things that you're working on and how people can follow you. All right, yeah, so um, basically um, I have a blog. Please opt in, put your email in at realestateduru.com. That's realestateduru, and then duru is spelled D-O-R-U. Um, so because um, I'm not a guru, I'm a duru because I actually do this business. So you can find me youtube.com slash realestateduru, instagram.com slash realestateduru, Facebook and Twitter, the same thing, and my blog. As far as the book, please go to Amazon and type in flip houses like burgers. 
Flip houses like burgers on Amazon. It's available in ebook format, and also it's available and um, on soft soft a paperback. So you can pick up either or, and um, you know pick that up. And you know you need to reach out to me. Feel free. Nassar, thanks for being our guest. Oh, uh, you're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.